Hello and welcome to In the Art Scene podcast, a place where creatives share their stories. My name is Galina Marquez and I have another cool story prepared for you today. So let's get to it. Hello everybody and welcome back to In the Art Scene podcast and I am having a very interesting guest today which I know I say every week but this week is uh something that we have never had on this podcast before uh so her name is stephanie and she's running a very cool business uh which is art vending it's the the it's a new business from what i understand you're just growing uh i will let you introduce yourself properly because i freaking know nothing about you except for i saw you on instagram and i knew exactly that this is what i want to talk about because this is this is really cool. This is I'm just mind blown. Well, thank you so much, Galena. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I am Steph. I run Good Things Vending in Chicago, Illinois. It is a creative vending machine project. They're full size snack vending machines, like you'd see at a school or a hospital. Except instead of being stocked with snacks and treats, they're stocked with local maker goods, some vintage and nostalgia items, and an, an occasional practical thing here and there. Cool. So uh, let me start from from a little bit far. Are you an artist yourself? I am. I am. I, you know, I've struggled with claiming that title at different points in my life. Oh, as but, a, a, all of us do. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a really creative household. My mom was a working artist for my whole life and knew that I wanted to do something creative and went to art school here in Chicago. I attended SAIC, School of the Art Institute. Um, and focused in photography and writing, but what I really loved was curation and collaboration. By my final year at school, it became really clear that I wasn't interested in being a gallery artist or a studio artist, and that the thing that I most wanted was to help people execute their projects and try and make connections in the arts community here. So that was sort of my um, intro into the art space in Chicago. And then I took a break for a bunch of years and I did some work in creative hospitality. I worked in operations, opening restaurants, which even though it wasn't directly related to what I had studied at art school, it was a very creative process, figuring out what menus look like and how the layout is and what music gets played and all of the things that create an environment. Is so it, is, it, is this a thing, creative hospitality? I think maybe like sort of a made up thing, but I think it's, it's what happens when folks open locations that are meant to be like a full experience. So the art on the walls is made by local artists. The menus reflect the food that they're making, not just in description, but also in its visual components and, you know, our side of things in operations was very much creative problem solving the same way that I experienced in critiques in art school. So that was for me, the big crossover. Cool. So, and did that, did that inform your uh, decision to start the vending business? Somehow, I think in large part, um, it, it was sort of a combination of things. I came from a family of collectors and artists and loved 
hospitality spaces, but realized that I don't want to do anything too serious professionally and managing restaurants made me feel really serious because I was responsible for an environment that other people were in. And, you know, that comes with a level of responsibility. So I decided to leave my positions in hospitality, but wasn't ready to give up the community. So this project one of the many things that feels really harmonious with the way that I want to live my life is that it keeps me connected, not just to the art space in Chicago, but also to the hospitality space, because that is one of the best spots to put a creative vending machine. Yes. People are eating and drinking and hanging out. So I get to tap into both worlds. Yeah. I was going to make a comment. Like you have, you have multiple connections where you can put your vending machines now. Yeah. Uh, How did you come up with this idea? So it was sort of a combination of things. And, uh, you know, I have to give a huge shout out to the Venderia in um, Portland. It's run by a woman named Taylor. And she started a vending machine business years and years ago and found a lot of success. And my, like the original Google path that I took to get here Um, started with a podcast episode about Horn and Heart Art, which was an automated eatery in New York. My father grew up in New York and I know very little about his life, but I listened to this podcast about, you know, it was one of those old school eateries where you'd go in and you'd put in a dime and open up a little cubby and get your Uh potatoes and put in a quarter and open up a cubby and get your steak and everybody would all sit together. And I got really obsessed with the idea of automation. Worth noting that For my parents' business, I also spent some time in Japan when I was growing up. So I had seen what vending looked like um, in a place where vending is, I think, more common and used more creatively. So that felt like the seed. And then this episode about Horn and Hard Art sort of sparked a little bit of a flame. And I went into a Google frenzy about what contemporary automation looks like and found Taylor, who does the Venderia. And reached out in 2019, sent an email just saying like, I love what you're doing. I think that um, this is where I want my energy to go and was met with such a warm and welcoming community-driven response that has now flourished into Creative Ending Revolution, which is a Facebook group and a Zoom, weekly Zoom meeting. of creative vendors around the world, um, mostly in the continental United States, but there's folks that are doing this in Canada, in Puerto Rico, in Mexico, and everybody's machine is different because they're all a product of what they love, how they vision creating this automated retail space, and also the community of makers and creatives that help fill the machine. So Although my project is very much mine and very much Chicago, it rhymes with projects all around the country that are utilizing the same tool. Honestly, I had no idea there is a big community of art vendors because uh, before I found you, I only have heard about Artemat. Yeah, so Artemat is like the OG. He's He does his own machines. Um, he fixes them up. He paints them. He's really nailed down a system 
Um, and the project is all over the country. So it's a little bit less focused on being hyper-local and a little bit more focused on being accessible and I think transferable to other states. So um, that's kind of everybody's go-to, which I love because it helps it helps sort of bring people into the world of creative vending and it helps, it's like a wonderful entryway that most people that I bump into have seen something that resembles putting weird stuff in a vending machine, which makes conversations <laughs> a little bit easier. Okay. What's, what's the weirdest stuff that you put in your vending machine? Ooh, good question. So, um, I think that everything is pretty non-traditional. There's not a lot of stuff in the vending machine that you would see in a normal vending machine. I don't have any snacks. We have useful items like lighters and phone chargers and bags to pick up your dog poop and <laughs> um, rain ponchos. Uh, and all those things are kind of based on the location. So those items were ones that in my newest location at Metropolitan Brewing, they had mentioned that all of those things were things that they were asked for that they don't provide behind the bar. So it's a way to sort of fill the need. And then there's fun Oracle items, which is my favorite category. These are items where the machine makes a selection for you. So huh. mystery tarot packs made by the Dark Exact, where you get a three card tarot reading, but every envelope is different. So the machine vends you one, but the huh. next person that vends the same item gets something totally different. So huh. um, there's those types of items, which include mystery socks, grab bags, all sorts of fun things that you don't know exactly what you're getting. And then of course the arts items, which are the heart of the project. And uh, those can range from really expected, like a Chicago themed sticker pack by Lettering Works to really unexpected, like a pigmented glue lighter made by Tanner Bowman. Um, <laughs> everything has to kind of catch your eye from the outside because you can't touch anything, but we've had handmade soaps in the machine. We've had handmade earrings. We have some right now in the Chicago Cultural Center by Patalo. Um, we have had tons of zines, lots of stickers, lots of pins, because those are easily vendable. Um, but, you know, actually I have some old samples of stuff, but one of my favorite products ever is by um, a local company, Ginger Gold. They make these plant pals. They're these little 3D printed sticks that have like a smiley face or a watering can on the end. And they're meant to be put in the soil with your plants just to add some cheer. Who doesn't need a little cheer? So things this like that so awesome. bring a lot of joy. Yeah. This is awesome. Well, how do you find your vendors? Originally, I reached out to folks that I knew. So Tanner Bowman, who does the drippy lighters, he's an artist that I went to school with. So we have been floating around each other's creative space for many years. And I knew that he knew me well enough to not think that I was insane. <laughs> Which, <laughs> you know, early on when I didn't have a machine out in the world, it was hard to explain to people who didn't know me, didn't know the project exactly what I was doing. So um, Tanner's been a real staple. And there was a group of artists early on that were like, yeah, we're in whatever you need. Um, now that the project's grown a little bit, 
all put call outs on social media, mostly on Instagram and people reach out and they propose items, which is a thrill. It's a thrill for many reasons. Number one, I get to find out about other people that are making work in the city, which is really just the best part of the job. Um, Number two, it's so cool that people are hearing about what I'm doing and that they're down to go through the process of trying to make sure that something's vendable. And it's also exciting because it means that I don't need to do as much legwork when it comes to that piece of it. And that hopefully word of mouth will uh, provide artists for, you know, many machines to come. Awesome. How many machines do you have now? I, I, I know about two. Yeah. So there's two live machines. There's one in the works for way out bar um, in the Logan Square neighborhood in Chicago. And then there's two locations that I'm in conversation with. So my dream of all dreams is to have five by the end of the year, but not trying to push anything too hard. I like to focus on one machine at a time because they do take a decent amount of work to get them up and running. And they're each customized for each location. So the outside of the machines are painted by a local artist. They don't look like a standard snack machine. They're fully coated in an arts mural. So the first machine, which is in the Chicago Cultural Center, was painted with all these beautiful images of Chicago. Um, Artist Molly Bowman painted that. And then the Metropolitan Machine, they have a very like robot, edgy kind of vibe. And we got this amazing artist, Bryn Gleason, to paint that machine with a big old robot and a big old crocodile and tons of mushrooms. So they take a little bit of time just because I want them to match the the energy of the spot where they're going to be landing. But hopefully five by the end of the year, but two right now. Awesome. Well, it, it does sound like you are paying a very, very close attention to every single one to kind of polish the experience. I, I see how it comes from your, uh, the creative um, hospitality experience, for sure. I, I think about it as like a, my love letter to Chicago. I've been in this city. Oh, that's a nice I, way to put it, yeah. I wasn't born here. I was born in, in Massachusetts and I moved here for college, which is such a ripe time in a person's life, that first place that you go that isn't your hometown, so much growth happens and there's just so much change. And I think now that I've been here for close to 20 years, my relationship with the city has grown just as much as I have in that time. And to land in this place where I get to do something that reflects how incredible the people of this city are. There is in unending well of talent, of passion, of desire to collaborate. Um, And I'm pretty, I don't work, I I like to only work with people who seem excited by it. I don't want anybody to feel like it's too much labor, you know, and it means that I get to interact with people like you who are jazzed by what people make and what people do. that brings such a good energy into my life. So yeah, it's, I get to definitely benefit from it. But at the end of the day, if somebody saw it, I'm not there. They don't know me. I hope that it just screams Chicago. Awesome. Do you source like brand new vending machines or you restore the old ones? How how does that work? So I get used vending machines. My original vending machine was purchased on Craigslist and we had to add a credit card reader 
we had to make some adjustments to the setup internally, but the machine itself was a really intimidating part of the project for me at the beginning. So I, I cannot even imagine. I mean, I have no idea about how machines work on, on the other side. Not yeah. <laughs> Thank God for the internet. That's all I'll say. Like, yeah. you know, you can find anything on the internet. Um, now this last group of machines I got from a company that refurbishes used machines And I feel like I've kind of leveled up my ability to mess with them. I've learned a lot more about how the wiring works, how you can adjust trays, what I used to make folks produce products to conform to how the machine was already set up. Now I have a little bit more of an ability to adjust the machine to fit the product, obviously with limitations, but, um, my goal is to just be like a vending machine master, you know, in a few years, but it all takes time. Oh, you'll get there for sure. I, I know that you're, you're so excited about what you do. I mean, there's no way you, you will not get there. Um, <laughs> uh, what was my, uh, my other question? Uh, yeah. Uh, so you started in about uh, two, three years ago, 2019. Yeah. I didn't actually get a machine live until 2021 because obviously the world had a massive moment of shift. And (laughs) not only personally did I have to figure out how to navigate a new world um, with COVID, but it it felt difficult to, first of all, the hospitality industry got hammered. There were so many spots closed and never opened back up. I was in conversation with a location that closed for two years. So it felt like a really big curveball personally, professionally, and then also, you know, obviously in the macro globally. But it did teach me a great lesson, which is that everything can go at any pace when it's your own project, that there, it only dies if you let it die. And that throughout all of that, I definitely questioned it. There were times that I thought this will never come to fruition, but I kept making small steps. And now having two machines, it's funny to look back because I think I think I learned a lot in those two years of processing what I wanted this project to look like and and how to make it work in in a different hospitality community than I had been involved in. So yeah, I feel like the thought and the name and some of the connections happened in 2019, but the project didn't really come to life until end of 2020, beginning of 2021. Uh, which brings me to my next question. And I, um, I'm, uh, I hope it's okay to mention that you're a new mom. Yeah. Which yeah I, I just, I'm an open uh, book. So yeah. you started in 2021 and I just learned that you are a mom of a, a wonderful six months old baby. So, and you are a one woman business from what I understand. Yeah. How? So I am a one woman business, but man, community is powerful. And I'm really lucky to have a phenomenal partner. But there was a moment where we didn't, I think when I found out that I was pregnant, me and my partner sat down and sort of looked at each other. And I said, we could do this one of two ways. I could put this project on the shelf 
and I could work my normal job that I had at the time until I can't work anymore. And then I'll spend time raising this kid. And then when he's out in the world, I'll go back into the the working world and I'll get a new job. Or I can hustle during this year that I'm pregnant and I can push with your support to make this project happen. And then on the other side of having a kid, I'll be able to work from home. I'll have my dream job and I'll be able to do something that, that really fosters a life that I'm like trying to lead. So I, his support was huge. His support and him saying to me, you can do this. You have my support. You're capable of this, whatever you need. I got your back. And then turning out to the community and sort of saying like, okay, I'm pregnant. If you want to put work in a machine, now's your time. Like I'm probably going to have a couple of months off, but the truth is, I, I don't know about you, but like, I love what I do. So I was back on my computer, maybe two weeks. I mean, you're the perfect example, right? Like, I don't want to <laughs> yeah, I was just... <laughs> out there, but here you are totally... doing your project with a fresh baby. I totally, totally hear you. Totally understand what you're going through. Uh, yeah. So by the time this episode is out, uh, my baby will be probably three, three and a half months old. Uh, but yeah, I hustled to uh, create two seasons in advance. So uh, because I knew that I'm going to take, you know, some time off. Uh, Gregory right now is seven weeks old. Uh, you are my first, no, you're my second interview I'm recording for season five. Uh, and yeah, I was, uh, like uh, to the very, very end of my pregnancy, if you, uh, so by the end of the season four, if you listen to it, I had so many, uh, pregnancy brain moments in the interviews. I had to apologize <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was forgetting the questions I was asking people and they're like, because most of my interviews were women, like, no, 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 we understand we, we, yeah. we, we went through this. You're good. Everything is fine. But yeah, it was, it was quite a challenge. And I, I totally hear you when you say that uh, the project will die only if you let it die. And yeah and kudos to to the supportive partners because I, I i wouldn't have been able to done this without my husband who is right now uh attending to our sleeping baby while i'm recording yeah. an interview with you i mean i think that it it's there's so many different ways to be a parent right like there's just as many different ways to be a parent as there are to be a person and i think that one of the things that I was nervous about when I found out that I was pregnant was all the things that I knew would have to change, all the things that I knew would have to shift or maybe go away for a while. And in practice, I love what I do enough that I'll find time, not for everything, but for enough to keep me connected, for enough to keep me feeling fulfilled, not just as a mother, but also as a creative person, as a community member, um, as a lover of the arts. And, you know, everything finds a way. We find a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are so right about that. Yeah, I feel like you're the you're the proof of it sitting here right now. Like, there's <laughs> well, no, nobody makes, understands that better than you. That makes two of us. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the weird thing though, is that you start to forget, right? Like, oh, he's six months old now. Things have gotten a little bit easier. I launched a new machine since he was born. My business feels like it has its own time and its own space, but it took a while to get there. And I forget a little bit what it was like those first few weeks, what it felt like to try and find time to check my email, to try and find time to stock the vending machine. I have photos on my Instagram of like the first time that I stocked the vending machine after giving birth to him. He's in my arms. He's, he's, I'm baby wearing, I'm stocking a vending machine. He's like two weeks old. My parents are there. My partner's there. We packed everything in the world to take a 30 minute trip downtown because you just don't know. You just don't know. It definitely feels a lot more manageable now, but, um, (laughs) You know, we'll see when we get to what two is that the next like nightmare phase that everybody? <laughs> oh, you have some time to go. I have a bit. I have a bit of time. Yeah, but you're giving me a lot of comfort. Yeah, knowing that uh, your baby at six months allows you to to pursue so much with your business and your passion. Uh, and uh, luckily, Gregory is a very good baby. It's just sometimes I feel frustrated because I, I literally have no idea what to do with him. I, like I. I I've never, I've never done this before. <laughs> and it's boring. I mean, that's the truth. And people don't talk about it all the time, but like, I'm somebody that loves to get my hands on work. I love to multitask. I love, I mean, like, um, I know people will be listening to this, but if you could see my space right now, it is chocked full floor to ceiling with items for the vending machine and also other projects. And, um, you know, sitting with a baby is a lot of just sitting and watching and he is adorable. I love my son so much, but you know, his, his sort of tricks and that he has in his bag, they're limited. And I think that I, I struggle sometimes with trying to reconcile what it means to dedicate all of this time to this project or to anything that isn't him because there is this cultural expectation of the birthing parent being this constant caretaker and anytime that you carve out space for yourself or for the things that you love I don't know about you but for me there's a quiet voice that says like shouldn't you be with your kid shouldn't you be guilt yeah kid stuff yeah um But then I think about what it's like to be a little bit older and I want my kid to see his mother being passionate and loving what they do. I want to be an example of what it means to create the job that you dream of and to not be satisfied to give up short of the goal. And I think that although I'm still figuring out exactly what that looks like. I do have a strong belief that all of the things that I do to make myself happy and whole also benefit him. You're right. You're hundred percent right. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. And I, I think that was the hardest thing for me as well. Well, beside of all the physical things, healing and everything um, to get used to how much, time slows down because I'm also kind of a dynamic person and uh, I regretted every single moment I procrastinated before I gave birth because to me it's like okay I I have wasted so much time and now I just don't have access to it because I have to slow down I am stuck I'm glued to this kid and everything kind of have to wait or I have to I don't know uh make decisions do i nap when he naps 
because there's no other time? Or do I quickly run to the studio and do something because he naps? And then there's amazing, yeah. All like the life stuff that you have to do. Like when do you shower? When do you wash your clothes? When do you just take a moment for yourself to look at your phone to see what other creative people are doing? I mean, it really is a, a struggle. I think every point in life though comes with these like lessons that you carry forward. And for me, those first few weeks, I I sort of said this earlier, but those first few weeks were a lot about what it can look like to lose control in the direction of what you love. Like what, what does it mean to release myself of expectation? And that doesn't mean that I don't sit in my studio. That doesn't mean that I don't try and find time to do the work that I love. But it means that that checklist that I kept so diligently before, it's just a little bit looser now. It's trying to congratulate myself on smaller things like, hey, you organized one drawer. You responded to one third of the emails. You stocked one of the machines, you know, and, and, and give myself a moment to just appreciate that I am still engaging in the thing that I love. And sure, maybe not as much as I was before. And maybe I don't always feel like I have as tight a handle on it, but, but I'm doing it, you know, and you're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't shower in two days. So it's, I'm glad that we're doing this over zoom. So you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Your kiddo doesn't care and your business doesn't care, you know? So and sure. I don't care. So I think uh, it's the right thing to let drop for this moment. You know, you got to pick something and sometimes it's the showering. Sometimes it's, it's sleeping, unfortunately. Sometimes it's the work that you love and sometimes it's going to the store, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, enough kid talk. Uh, so your short-term goal by the end of this year is to have five machines, max two for sure. Yeah. Loosely. Uh, loosely. loosely. Yeah. You know, well, with, yeah. With the previous conversation. Yeah, yeah, mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, it's like a dream goal, right? Like throw it out there, put it in the universe, run towards it. If I make it fantastic, if not, no love lost. Let's take a short coffee break. This podcast is the passion project that I produce and finance myself. If you want to support the show, you are welcome to volunteer, but the easier way is to just buy me a coffee. There's a link for it in the show notes and on our website, intheartscene.com. Thank you for your support. Hey listeners, did I tell you that we have fun merch? Well, we do. Click shop on our website and check it out. We have tees and hoodies, coffee mugs for your paint water, and my personal favorite, a studio apron. We use fun clothes from real artists, our podcast guests. And the best thing is all items are customizable, so get creative. By purchasing the merch, not only do you support the production of this podcast, but you also help us support art-related nonprofits and community organizations. Thank you for your support. Where do you see yourself down the line, like a few years from now? Like, what do you imagine this business become? It's such a good question. And one that I don't have a great answer for. A a long time ago, somebody was 
maybe it was a podcast, maybe I read, I don't remember, but um, I learned about goal setting mechanisms and one thing stuck. And it was that the people that are the happiest based off of this one study were the people that used a really particular goal setting mechanism, which was recognize the one big long-term goal or two big long-term goals put them at that point in the future and then kind of forget about them and just look at what the next two or three steps are. And sometimes check in with that big goal when you need it. But mostly I'm looking at just the couple of steps ahead. So my big goal, that big you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is I want to be happy. I want to do work that doesn't feel too serious. And I want to stay engaged in creative community ideally trying to create opportunities for artists. But, um, you know, really at the core of that is like my desire to be around people that are creative and try and support in any way that I can. So I don't know exactly how that pans <laughs> out in five years in my business, but um, I do know what steps I can take like today and tomorrow to line myself up for that. To me, it sounds like you're already there. I, you know, yeah, I feel I, some days I feel like I am some days I don't, you know, it's, it's an up and down. And I think that that's true for anybody that runs their own business, does anything creative. It's, there aren't such clear metrics to sort of evaluate your progress, which is a blessing and a curse. Um, but yeah, some days I really do feel like I'm there. Some days I feel really lit up by the fact that I, I, I recently, I set up at a market this past weekend. And I got to the market and I, it was like 50 artists, just shy of 50 artists, Palmer Square Arts Fair. And the list of people were, it was stacked full of artists that I've admired for years. And the imposter syndrome is so real. The feeling oh, yeah. of, well, I don't make the same way that these folks make. Should I be here? It, like, why did they invite me? Am I, do I belong here? And one of the great joys of this project is I feel like I have something to offer. And I did before too, you know, it's not, I didn't need to have anything concrete to, to justify being in the room, but coming with something to offer feels so good. It feels so good to be around these people and say, I love what you do. If you're ever interested in collaborating, if you're ever interested in putting stuff in a vending machine, here I am, opportunities open. And it creates conversations and connections with people that I have long admired that often turn into working relationships. And that is food for my soul. It just fills me up in a way that no other professional endeavor that I have ever done has, has satisfied me. So yeah, in a lot of ways, I think I am there. And then of course, there's like the, can it get bigger? Because my community is I think that's what it's about for me is the growing of the community. Like people that I know are telling people that they know. How do I get to the people that don't know anybody that I know? How do I get to the people that are drawing comics in their basement and not really talking about it much? How do I get to the people who are weaving or throwing pots in their backyard who aren't setting up at markets and don't have work out in the world? Like how... How do those folks hear about an opportunity? And I think that that's a challenge that a lot of people in creative, creative um, businesses 
find themselves in? If you're a store or a gallery, or how do you find the things that aren't right out there on the surface? So expanding that community feels like the 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 biggest goal and that I hope that in five years you and I check back in and and it feels wider and deeper than than I could have ever imagined. I, uh, you know uh you were you were talking about uh the the first the first half of what you were talking about you gave me goosebumps because you literally like is this is literally how I feel about this podcast. Mm. You just switch vending machine to podcasting. The imposter syndrome uh, uh, the um, opportunity to give back to creative community, connect to other artists who I have admired for years, or just found out like like you, uh, you know, randomly on Instagram. Uh, yeah, it's just it, I know exactly how you feel. It, it, you're just describing my life. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so funny too, it's because crazy. of course, from the outside, I look at what you do, and it feels it feels unquestionable, right? Like no part of me would ever say like, what's Galena doing? Like I see it and I get excited by it. I get curious about um, ugly art and, and um, different people's processes. And, you know, my default is never to think like, why is this person in the room? Why does this person have the conversation? So I got to assume the same thing about me. I got to assume nobody's out there questioning what I'm doing, but somehow we all still carry a little bit of that around. Yeah. But maybe, maybe it benefits us, right? Like that's the spin. That's my pivot is yeah. maybe the benefit of that is that it's a reflection of how much I care, how much I want to make something that I'm proud of, how much I want it to hit other people in a pleasing way so that they want to engage so that they find some joy in it. That's the, that's the upside, right? Like the upside of fear or anxiety or imposter syndrome, it all comes from a place of wanting to do right by the project yeah Yeah. yes yes um i have another question you you mentioned the um the market the art fair um and i wonder do you but beside of running a business which i'm pretty sure takes a lot of your time plus having a little baby uh do you still have time for your own creative projects if you do what kind of stuff do you create and do you put it in your own vending machines? So they've sort of hybridized. It's such a great question. <laughs> and I love, I just wish that there were always, I want to talk about vending all the time. And there's just only so much <laughs> that like my community can take of me. So the vending machine is for me the biggest of my creative endeavors. And I do some stuff outside of that, but most of it feels like at some point or another, it could find its way back to the vending machine. So some of the products that I make are intended to fill a bit of a gap in the machine. I make which 90s cartoon character are you packed? So they're a lower priced item, comes with a button and a little fortune about whatever character you pulled and what that says about you. And I make labeling and packaging for some of the practical items. And I make little zines that go in the machine sometimes. I, and then I photograph the machine. You know, I went to school for photography, so I capture the machine. I try and as, as often as I can take pictures of the, the vending machine and the, and the stuff that goes in it. So there's enough creativity that goes alongside with the machine itself that I, I don't feel like I have a separate arts practice right now. 
some of that is, I think, a product of being pregnant. Before getting pregnant, I was silversmithing, which I paused on because I didn't want to mask up and like, you know, have to do all of the things that were required to make it really safe while I had a kid growing. Um, And photography has always been, you know, my other kind of chosen medium, but mostly I take pictures of my vending machines and my, and my kid now. So <laughs> I think that it feels like any, any part of me that wakes up in the morning and says, today, I just want to be creative. I don't want to run a business. I just want to make, I can make in a way that supports my business. And that is super exciting. That's been, I wonder, you know, how other people feel about it, but in a, in a, pre pre good things vending I would sometimes make things and then think well now what you know now do I do with it this isn't the thing I do how do I what's the home for this does this just live on a shelf forever I had a great time making it but now is it just adding to the collection of things that I have in my home but when you have a vending machine there's like this venue for anything at all and uh whether it's like me messing around with shrinky dinks on a Friday night, put it in the vending machine. Yeah. That's um, a long-winded way of saying I don't do a lot of, of art making that isn't in some way connected back to this business. But this is such a great message to everyone because uh, every creative, uh, at least that I know of, uh, has to wear so many different hats. And some of those hats feel kind of daunting and uh, it, it might feel like it's taking away uh, out of your creative space, creative mindset or creative time. So uh, the, the message that I heard just now you saying is like, whatever you do, uh, you can creatively do something that supports your business. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that they said in art school that always used to really mess me up was they said, your art practice should be an extension of your life. And I had no idea what that meant. I genuinely did not. I was taking photos, I was making prints, and it all felt like stuff that I was doing separate from the life that I was living. And I couldn't imagine what it, I saw other artists making work that felt like it came from them, from their existence. And, and I had never had that feeling before and couldn't really imagine what that looked like for me. So this for me is my first time understanding what that means for me, which is my creative practice now is fully integrated in every part of my life. And that's satisfying. I mean, it just makes it easier. It makes it more manageable. And I also think it makes it easier for other people to sort of wrap their head around me, my project, why I do what I do, what my intention is behind it. Everything kind of rhymes. Yeah, it kind of gives it a purpose. Yeah. Helps me plant my feet. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any plans? Are you going to localize your vending business for Chicago area? Or are you thinking about venturing out to different places? Like, I don't know, San Diego, maybe? So (laughs) there are amazing, like I had mentioned before, this community of creative vendors. One of the great things about it is that people will say, oh, I wish I had something like this in my area. And oftentimes they do. Um, If folks are listening to this and they want to see if there's a creative vendor in their area, check out my website. I'm going to update it today after I get off this podcast with a map that has on it pinned 
a bunch of creative vending machines, not all of them, but just some, and it's like 50. So there are hopes for me that, and it already happens, that we can collaborate across state. So I source some products from other people in the creative vending machine business, and I also sell some products to other folks. So I think part of the dream is helping facilitate some of the artists that have developed products specifically for vending, helping facilitate those folks putting stuff in other machines because it takes some effort to make the packaging work. And once that's happened, it's like a great shortcut for creative vendors to put something cool and interesting in there and know that it's going to work. So hoping to kind of use that community of creative vendors that's all over the place and my community of Chicago artists to help spread what these Chicago artists are making as far as as the creative vending machine business spreads. So that would be one part. And I think a lot of it I thought, so my mom, I grew up in, in Massachusetts and my mom's a working artist in Boston and she keeps trying to convince me to do a machine there. And the truth is, I just don't think I could do it justice. I would love it if there was somebody in Boston who wanted to do it and reached out and said, oh, how can I make this happen? Like, because Taylor set this tone of collaboration, all this information is available out there. I'm so down to share all of what I've learned. It feels very non-competitive. There's so much space for kind of endless amounts of creative vending machine businesses to exist. So I hope to continue to help support, grow that community. But I don't think that I could do what I do anywhere else because it's so much about my connection to the city, my connection to the artists here, my connection to spaces here and what it feels like to to really invest in this community. So, I mean, you know, I don't know if it'll be the same in, in five years, but as of right now, it's hard to imagine how how I could do the thing that I do, the way that I do it, which I love, um, without it being a place that I am am in and like in love with the way that I'm in love with Chicago. I love the idea of widely collaborative vending art vending machine industry. I yeah, cool, yeah and, right? and, and and I will I will make sure to to put the links in the show notes so people can find it because I I checked the Artemat website they do have a map where they pin their own machines I found one in in my area which is about a 40 minute drive from where I live uh and it's in some business office it's like a creative marketing agency or something like that so uh i don't know if that's like a, it's not a public place at least it doesn't sound like a public place so i don't know why i would drive 40 minutes to someone else's office to check out the vending machine so that kind of was weird for me but uh i don't know you're inspiring me maybe i should start the business because where i live personally like within five miles radius we have so many breweries we have so many restaurants yeah, yeah. yeah. and and san diego is uh, is an amazing uh creative community uh, we have so many artists uh yeah that will just love the opportunity yeah, I mean, I I wish that I could like recall off the top of my head all of the different because you know there's a ton of folks on the West Coast, um, and like more adding all the time. 
And I think that what you said is the core of it. Like just within five miles of you, you could run your own robust creative vending machine business. And what that means is just there's so much space for so many people to do this. And everybody's product is different. Everybody's project is a reflection of what they love, who they know, what spaces they're interested in. And I think that it's one of the scary things about being an artist is that you you put so much of yourself into what you make that even if you're non-competitive, even if you don't have a big ego in the room, there's always this little fear that somebody bigger, badder with more resources could come in and scoop you. Like no matter how original your idea is, it, I mean, it's rampant, like Sheen stealing artists' ideas, Urban Outfitters for years was stealing artists' ideas. Um, and it feels like on a micro level, like I putting weird stuff in a vending machine is not proprietary. Anybody could do this. And for me, and again, I, I keep mentioning Taylor because I just think that what she's done is so admirable in that she could have claimed this whole space. She could have said, I'm here, I'm first, figure it out on your own. And she didn't. And because of that, she set the tone for all of these other creative vendors. So now you have this huge group of people that are just so down to share information that it feels like it sort of breaks something about how I understood running a creative independent business had to be. It felt like it inherently had to be competitive. It inherently had to keep secrets. It inherently had to be closed off in some capacity. And um, it's a great joy for me that that is not the case. And, and I think a lesson that I hope to carry with me in my life that I hope to teach my kid and that I hope other, other folks that cross paths with anybody in this community, I hope that that's a loud part of it. Yeah. I, uh, again, I feel the same way. Uh, I, I first, uh, first when I decided to become a full-time artist, I also felt like this is such a, you know, kind of a, there's a scarcity of information and uh, every artist is inherently much bigger than you are and no one is going to share anything with you. And, and there's a lot of competition and not enough opportunity for everybody. Yeah. But what I actually found, uh, especially after starting this podcast, is how much support there is among the uh, creative community. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter what you do. Are you a painter? Are you a videographer? Are you a, a, a art vendor uh, or a gallery owner or I don't know sculpture doesn't really matter people just you know happy to help with whatever they can and it's and, and share the information and like spread the word spread the love because there is there's no such thing I, what I understood is there's no such thing as competition in arts because there's no one else in the world who can do art the way you do art yes and it's therefore choice, right? yeah Therefore, yeah. the only thing you can do is just to inspire someone else. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. And I, I think making that decision is a really bold decision, right? Because it really is a choice. It's a decision to not to not let the fear of somebody else doing what you do be the loudest thing in the room. It's it's believing in yourself. It's believing in what you have to offer, believing in your creativity, believing that you have something that can't be taken away from you by somebody else's creativity when the ship when the tide rises all the ships rise you know yeah. it yeah feels like I've been in both kinds of art spaces and 
I can't say that better art comes from one or the other, but I can say that happier people come from collaboration. Yeah. Well, uh, we are getting close to the top of the hour, but I still have questions for you. So I wanted to switch a little bit um, to the technical part. Uh, mm-hmm. So a uh, majority of my listeners are artists uh, of all kinds and from like different levels in their careers. Uh, so when you work with artists or creators, makers, uh, um what are the parameters that you are telling them? So I know that there should be a certain size, but uh, is there also like minimum or maximum limit of like the number of products that you are taking for the vending machine or like for you specifically or for what you know about other vendors out there in the States? So I think everybody does their project a little bit differently. It's sort of just how you decide to like administer your project. For me, When folks reach out, I first give them an email, which explains how pricing works in the machine. Uh, All items are 60-40 in favor of the artist. That 40% that I take helps me pay for all of the other things that come with it, packaging items, maintaining the machine, um, and then generally like continuing to source work from other artists and and figure out how to rotate that stuff in. So... um, the size restriction is chip bag or candy bar. And that is with a little bit of leeway, depending on how a machine is set up. I have dimensions that I send out, but there's always a testing period. Like I always request a sample of an item that they're looking to vend because even if something seems like it would be vendable, it's always worth testing. Oftentimes something is too top heavy or the back isn't stiff enough. And the worst case scenario is if I put somebody's wonderfully cared for, well-made item in a machine and every time that somebody goes to purchase it, it jams and they don't get that item. So the most legwork goes into that sort of early part, like making sure that an item is packaged to vend, which doesn't just mean that it falls easily out of the machine. It also means that from outside from looking into the machine through a piece of glass, they can tell what they're looking at. Whether it's like your branding is so bright and colorful that they need to see more, or there's stickers on the outside that explain exactly what the product is. Some level of mystery is always, you know, Mm -hmm. part of it, but the more information they can get, the better. And it's a great opportunity to let people know who you are as an individual. And then once that part's done, uh, if an item vends well, they'll send me a full set, which for me is between 10 and 20 items, depending on if they fit in a large row or a small row. So there's coils that operate the machine and those can come in all different sizes. So it just depends on where their item's going to sit in the machine. And that usually is between 10 and 20 of an item. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much Really, the things that I'm looking for are like different types of items. It's especially exciting when somebody offers up something that I haven't seen before. Obviously, stickers, pins, those like patches, traditional small format items do really well, but they also get proposed a lot. So I get super pumped when somebody's like, I make cat toys. I make handmade felt cat toys. It's like, yeah, let's check that out. Let's figure out how to make those vend. I hand embroider hair clips. Cool. That sounds great. Um, 
you know, I think that the other great thing about this, my project, and I think maybe I would venture to say this is true about most spending projects, is that they're inherently an open call to artists. If folks are are looking for local artwork, um, the machine rotates all the time. So just because the machine is full right now, some of that stuff's going to sell out. And that means that we're going to need new stuff to go in that machine in two weeks. So it's a constant conversation with multiple artists and folks send me stuff. And as soon as a slot opens up, those things are sort of slid in as the opportunity arises. So did I answer all your questions? Yeah. About? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, but you have uh, repeat artists that, you know, folks that you are working with over and over and over again, right? Not a lot of them. Um, there's a few staple items like Tanner Bowman's lighters are almost always in the machine for a couple of reasons. Number one, such a longtime supporter of his work and he's been such a longtime supporter of mine. That alone, though, would not have have done it. It's truly the fact that when I put those lighters in the machine, they are gone within a week. Like I cannot keep them stocked. They are. And he stocks them other spots too. So I know that there's like this fight for Tanner Bowman lighters and having them as not just, they're like both a practical item and an art item, which is really exciting um, to have something that fulfills both a need and a want. That's a best case scenario item. So that item just like happens to rhyme so perfectly with the machine that as much as is possible, those will be in there all the time. Another one that I like to have is whatever artist painted a machine. I love to try and have one item made by that artist at all times, because I think that that's what grabs you and pulls you towards it. And it's super cool to be able to take a piece of that away. But in general, I do try and rotate as much as possible to have as many artists come through the machine as possible. Oh, as this is why you I need think, as many machines as you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as I know, I think that I've worked with about 40 artists that have gone through the machine. But um, another sort of like loose goal, like my five machine goal, is I'd love to have 100 artists pass through the machine by the end of the year. Um, the goal there is like community building, getting the word out. Also, I think that it adds to the excitement of the project. The machines are static. So if you walk through a building every day, and you're seeing the exact same stuff in the machine, there's not a ton of reason to check it out every day. But if you know that there's always a chance that there'll be new stuff in there, that's good for me, that's good for them. So generally, I like to only have one item by an artist at a time. There are also some exceptions there. Like um, recently, I had an artist, the crafty physicist, send me three products. And I planned to put one in one machine, one in the other machine, and then hold on to the third until a spot opened up. But I went downtown and an item that I wasn't expecting to have sold out, sold out. So in that case, Mindy's got two products in the cultural center machine right now because I needed something and I had that item available. So there is just like a lot of looseness to it. But generally, I would say I try and have one, one row per artist in the machine at a time. And there are a few staple items, but not a ton. All right. Well, that was information for all the artists. So if anyone is listening to you and being excited and uh, inspired to start the vending business in their area, um, I have two questions. Yes. Well, first question, uh, after two years of doing this, this is your full-time job now and, and it's sustainable. Um, I, no, no, it's not. Um, that's such a good question. And I wish just, I you're just answer. setting up expectations, you know? Like yeah, the, yeah. The reality check. <laughs> 
So I also work part-time at an art store, which is a great job that helps complement um, this work because it's it's Buddy, which is in the Chicago Cultural Center, the same location as one of my machines, though they're not in the same area. And uh, that store is run by Stella Brown, who is unbelievable, a deeply talented curator, widely connected in the arts community, and a like phenomenal uh, I think like it feels like she's the art director, right? Like she really has a vision for the space. So I help doing some administrative work there and not much, but it is a little bit of additional income. And then what I've gathered is that folks that have five plus machines can manage with the living they make, but it seems like the sweet spot is around seven. Um, but everybody's different. You know, some people have items that go up to $45 in the machine. My machine caps out at $20. So it just like depends on your locations, but I would say at two machines, most of the money that I am making goes back into my business. Um, and that it feels like I'm kind of, you know, I have a, I have a bit of work to do to get it to the place where this is my full-time number one job. You are on the right path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I also think like that having another job that complements it is really like a privilege because it allows me space to, it doesn't ever really pull my brain fully away from creative ending. Even when I'm doing work for Buddy, I'm doing work around the Chicago arts community. And then also there's some complement businesses that I have alongside the vending machine. So like I set up at a market recently and the stuff that I bring, it's not as much the artist goods. It's a lot of the like vintage and thrifted nostalgia items, the vintage wax pads, the old goosebumps books, the you know vintage lapel pens. So, and then I also have an Etsy store that I haven't really been doing much with over the last, I don't know, five, six months, basically since Theo showed up. But um, for a minute there, like during COVID, that was a, a big part of my income too, which they're, they're, they're all supporting each other. You know, like I go to estate sales and thrift stores to find books and CDs that I put in the vending machine. And then maybe I also find something that doesn't fit in a vending machine, but that I can put on my Etsy page or that I can bring out to market and everything does feel connected. I don't know what it looks like from the outside, but for me, there is this real continuity between all of the different things that I do to make money. Uh, but yeah, well, th- thanks for that. Thanks for clarifying that. Uh, and don't uh, break so any parts. <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty sure everybody understands because I, uh, oh my God, I, I, I guess I can count uh, full-time artists on, on, I don't know, on the fingers on one hand, who were actually making a living off of their art, nothing else. Uh, most most of the people I know, uh, and I guess especially at the beginning of the art career, like you kind of have to do this. Yeah. And it's really cool when you can supplement with another job that is related to your passion job, right? So uh, yeah, but thank you anyway for clarifying that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked. My last question for today would be uh, any um, 
word of inspiration or cheer or whatever for anyone who just listened uh, for us for the whole hour uh, talking about art vending and uh, this whole vending business and how awesome it is and how passionate and supportive people are in this community and decides to create their own, like open their own vending business in their area. So what, what would you say to them? I think that my advice to them would probably be the same thing that I wish that I could tell myself at a younger age that I would maybe tell to anybody in any business at all, which is just that everybody is capable of the same stuff. Like you see a CEO of a company, you see a full-time working artist, you see me with my vending machine business, you see Galena with her podcast, like Nobody has something that you don't have and it all takes work. But if you find the thing that you love, there is the ability to get to where you want to get to. And like, I can't say it's not going to be painful or long or a struggle, but that there isn't some secret sauce that somebody has that you don't have. You have it you have it. And if you wake up every morning and you like remind yourself that you have it and you just figure out what those one or two things are that you can do today that point you in the direction of that big goal. Uh, yeah. I just like have a lot of faith in, in your ability to, to get there and everybody's ability to get there. Well, thank you. That's a great advice. And I also, I, I love that you, uh, you pointed that it must be something that you love because at the end of the day, no matter how, like to me, it feels this way, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much life comes in the way, it doesn't feel daunting. It doesn't feel like it's a, you know, job that you have to do. It's just something that you want to do. Yeah. You're, you're naturally kind of moving that direction anyway. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank I you. To, I have to stop right here because I need to switch shifts with my husband who... <laughs> thank you so much i'm so glad i reached out and i'm so glad that you found time in your busy schedule and your busy life to to talk to me today and um, i'm i'm excited about this uh episode to go out i really so, appreciate it. it's such a huge compliment it really is it's like it means a lot that that anybody anywhere would be interested in in chatting about what it is that that i'm doing and oh and it's, exciting. it's exciting it's exciting I I am I am super complimented to be a part of your roster and can't wait to you know hear what what comes of your big project because here we are in the middle of it and right? it's like also a beautiful creative endeavor and I'm also good luck on the mom journey. Oh, thank you. You will survive. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, as usual, all the links and references, everything we were talking about, uh, you guys can find on the show notes and the blog post that comes with this episode. So don't forget to check that out. Go to intheartscene.com uh, and click on that map. You guys, you you, you must found a vending machine in your area. Um, and thank you, uh, Stephanie, for, for putting that map together uh, for all of us. And uh, yeah, and I will see you next time in the art scene. It has been another episode of In the Art Scene podcast. If you liked today's conversation, 
please give us a good review on Apple. And go listen to other great stories. Check out our website intheartscene.com or follow us on Instagram at intheartscene for more content. If you are a creative and you want to share your story, shoot us a message from the website or DM us on Instagram. Look forward to seeing you next time in the art scene.